Whew, good morning. Man, oh man, I love that song. <clears throat> There's another word that needs to be added to that song. It's inconceivable. Inconceivable. <clears throat> How many of you guys are fans of the Princess Bride movie? Come on, come on, admit it. Okay, right on. Um, Vicini keeps on using that word, inconceivable. And the Spaniard finally says, you keep on using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and as we're singing that song, first service again, second service, there's a portion in that, in that song where it says that you know the depths of my heart and you love me the same. That, my friends, is truly inconceivable. And I know what that means. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be when he knows our very depth. When he knows what you think that nobody else thinks. <laughs> and if you're anything even close to the way I am, it's bad. It's bad. And yet he loves me the same. And you can't change that. You can't change that. You can't, you can't not make him not love you. That is inconceivable. He, he, he truly loves us. And so as we get into his word right now, let's just quiet our hearts, just you and Jesus, and you pray. Just in your heart, ask him to prepare your heart for, for this morning. truly think of who you are and the fact that you've allowed us to come into your presence and you know us and you welcome us and you want us to be there. I just thank you for this morning. Speak to our hearts. Teach us. Help me as I teach. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Last week we got into Hebrews chapter 9 and that's where we're going to be this morning as well. <clears throat> And we got to see and we got to study the earthly tabernacle. And my heart in sharing last week's message is to try to give you some understanding, a glimpse of, of, of the, uh, how big and, and what it could have looked like and, and, and all those things. It, you know, my, my heart was that you would get this visual picture and say, okay, I, I could picture it, I could see it. All of that to, to I guess, come to realize as we looked at the tabernacle and the sanctuary in particular, the middle part of it, the inner workings of it, all, all of that so that we could like leave by going, oh, but it's all a type. It, 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 it's, a, it's a copy, it's a replica of what the real one looks like. Now, I don't quite understand how the real one looks like, but I do know that God gave Moses instructions and say, build it this way. Maybe so that we can understand it and comprehend it. But I really don't know exactly how that one is going to look up in heaven. But we get a picture. We get a picture of what, what it looked like. 
here on earth. And what we got from that picture last week is how everything that is in the earthly tabernacle, every last part of it, everything that we looked at, everything, and even the things that we didn't touch on, represents or was a type of Jesus himself. It all focused, it all pointed back to Jesus and, and, and showing, and because we've been looking at all this and, and we've been studying it in the book, that Jesus is superior, better than anything that we could, we could see, anything that we can handle. And, and the readers of that day were, were being asked, just like we are being asked even today, to no longer look at Something that is temporal, um, like the building or the the sanctuary that that we that we painted, that we are not to look at those things because none of those things are holy in and of themselves. Everything we looked at, the the, the menorah, you know that 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 in and of itself it can't do anything but sit there. This building. When, when, when you are not here, it is just an empty building. There is nothing holy about it except for when it rains and it leaks. <laughs> Other than that, there is nothing holy about this building. It becomes holy when you step in it. Because God has sanctified you and God has made you holy. You are the church, not this building. And so what he has been trying to get across and trying to share with them is that it is no longer about a thing or an item. Get your mind off of those things. And it makes it hard because we are people that live in the world that it's all about sight, it's all about feel, it's all about smell and and, and all those things. And so he is saying it's no longer about things or items. It's about a person. It's about a person. It's about, it's about a person that, that, that can fulfill and be everything that those items and those things can never be. Because those items and those things that we looked at can never fulfill. And they can never accomplish what Jesus can accomplish in our hearts and in our lives. And so this is the problem that we sometimes have because, as I shared, sometimes we drag in traditions or customs or things from our lives, from our childhood, and we think, you know, well, we just brought, there's nothing wrong with them, but we've brought them into Christianity, and none of those things can get you any further than, than what Jesus can. You have to like take your mind, take your heart off of those things. Nothing up here makes you holy. No person up here can make you holy in any way, shape, or form. And so again, that, that's, that's what he has been trying to, to get across. That, that it's about a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Because he, he alone is a better dwelling place. He is a better sanctuary. He is a better tabernacle is what we've been looking at. And we get to have access to Him anytime. We don't have to go to a particular place and say, only here can I have access to God. 
No, we can, we can have that anytime, anywhere, wherever we go, because He has offered a better sacrifice. None of those sacrifices in the past were capable of drawing you any closer to God. But they were required by the law. And nothing that you have in your life can draw you any closer. Not anything that you see. If you were to say, you know, because it's the new year and I'm going to be going to church every Sunday, I'm going to be closer to God. No, that's not the case. I mean, we want you here. Don't get me wrong. And you might be thinking, well, in that case, I'm never going to come. It's like, well, you don't have to come. That's not what's going to make you holy because you're here sitting in, in this place. We want you to be here. Don't get me, you know. But, but if you walked out and never stepped back into this church, you're not any less holy. And so in light of all that we've been looking at and, and what we've been studying and will continue, in light of all those things, what he is trying to get across is that we need to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to, to walk and trust things we can't see. That's hard. <laughs> because we, we, are, we are motivated or we are accustomed to things that we can grab a hold of. Understanding all the while, when we're being asked to walk by faith and not by sight, that in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that we are to seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of the Father, right hand of God. And then he says in verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Because when we set our minds on the things of the earth, it is all temporal. Our focus is upward, not downward. Our focus is forward, not backward. (laughs) That's where we should have and need to have our focus because that's where faith comes in. That's when we're beginning to trust something that we cannot see. Again, I I understand that sometimes it's so hard because when you're going through something in your life and you're being told and you know because of the Word of God to trust God, it is just so hard sometimes because you can't feel it and you can't see it. And yet, when he gets you through, you look back and it's like, man, Lord, you did. You came through and I couldn't feel it. I couldn't see it. So we're in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to do, I'm going to attempt the whole chapter. Uh, I did it first service, so I'm assuming I will do it here. But let's go from verse 1, what we covered last week. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. 
Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance we'll stop right there going back to verse 11 where we left off when it says but christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation we, we have already covered in the past that jesus did not come to earth the first time as high priest he couldn't have. That would never have happened because his lineage would never have allowed him to come into the priesthood. He was of the, of the tribe of Judah. The, the only ones that could be of that priesthood were the tribe of Levi. And so his lineage would never have allowed that. His appointed time to come as high priest was only after his death. That is the only time he was now able to take that title upon himself and only order after the order of Melchizedek, after a different priesthood. And so he takes or he took that rightful place after his death, resurrection and ascension. He takes his rightful place at the right hand of God to where that is where he will be a priest forever on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? That that's when he became our high priest. That is when he appeared as a high priest. He never referred to himself as a high priest while he walked on this earth because he knew. But it was after the fact. That's when he appeared as a high priest. And in that, he, 
he came as high priest of the good things to come or the good things that have come already. They were made possible only because he is a greater and more perfect tabernacle. There was nothing perfect about the first one. Oh, it looked great, but none of those things were able to accomplish or produce perfection in and of themselves. He came in this manner to bring those good things because he is the perfect tabernacle. The premise or the argument had already been made that that first tabernacle, what, 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 what was placed here on the earth, it was inferior. It was inferior because it was, it was the earthly one. And, and we've already like, like established the fact that anything that is made out of earthly material will not last forever. Again, if you look at ruins, if you look at buildings that have been around for hundreds of years, thousands of years, they look amazing. But guess what? They will not last forever. Even though it's like, no, but man, they've been there forever. It's like, well, we use that term forever, but they cannot last forever because they are of earthly material and it makes it inferior. And the contrast that we've been looking at between the earthly tabernacle and the heavenly tabernacle is that one was made with hands and the other one was not. One was, was made out of earthly materials and the other one was not. One had limited, had limits and the other was not. One was temporal and the other one definitely is not. And so we have this contrast of what these two tabernacles are like. <laughs> and which one should we choose? The ones that, that are limited? The ones that are, that are temporal? It's like, no, the, the writer is trying to, to have them see and look at everything that we see and, and, and hear in, in this world is temporary. What we can't see is eternal. And the reason being is because the, the heavenly one is not of this creation. It's not created by anything here. Thus making it not of this world. And when I wrote that down, I thought, man, that would make for a great clothing line. I had this image in my head so I could make some stickers. Um, kidding. But it makes it inferior. It can't make it superior if it's made out of this creation. What's not of this creation is, 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 is those things that we can't see, feel, smell, or touch. Because all these other things that are created, we could, we could touch them. We, they're tangible. That means if we... Whoops, almost tripped. That would have been funny. Um, <laughs> somebody help that old man up there. <clears throat> Anything that we could touch is temporary. Temporary. Anything that we can smell or handle or, or taste, it is all temporary. It is made out of something, some form of earthly material, and it is not out of this world. <laughs> it is of this world. And the challenge that, that is brought to the reader of the day and to us as well is to look beyond what we could see. To look beyond it. 
That is hard, again, like I shared earlier, because we so often are, are focused on what is in front of us. Again, when we're going through a hard situation, whatever it may be, it is so hard to look beyond that because we're in the middle of it. We're experiencing the consequences of whatever that situation is. And we're going, Lord, how can we ever get out of this situation? But guess what? If we could like tangibly deal with it here on earth, it is temporary. All of it. Temporary. It, it, it will one day pass, <laughs> maybe not in our lifetime, and it might seem like a lifetime, but we are being asked to look at life beyond the physical. In other words, we are being asked to look with our spiritual eyes. That is what it's called faith. <laughs> As I was thinking about this, it's like, you know, if you remember the conversion of of the Apostle Paul, where he was blinded for three days, and he could not see a thing, but now he is now a born-again believer, and there was a time when Ananias goes and prays for him, and it says that something like scales fell off his eyes, and now he could see. And I don't know about you, but when when some, some of us become Christians, all of a sudden we could see differently. We see things not as they appear sometimes. Again, we are being asked to walk in faith. We are being asked to, to, to look beyond the surface and look beyond that. And so from verses 12 to 14, he, he, he continues as, as, as he's contrasting you know, the, 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 the better, the, the, the greater, the more perfect tabernacle with, with what was here on earth and the Old Testament sacrifices, those things from the OT there were fine for the earthly tabernacle. Those, 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 the, the blood of the goats and the blood of, of, of the calves, they were good enough to enter into the Holy of Holies, the earthly one but they could never obtain eternal redemption. That, that, that blood that went into upon the mercy seat could not rescue us or them from their sin. It could never give us eternal salvation. Why? Because it was temporal. You could see the mercy seat, the blood that was sprinkled on there. God looked at that blood and covered their sin, but it could not wash it away. (laughs) It just covered it for a time. And so because of that, something better was needed. Better blood. Better blood than than just ordinary animals. It, it, It was necessary that something better come along, not just to cover, but to get rid of once and for all and wash away permanently. Because the blood of bulls and goats, or goats and calves, could never make it permanent. Once a year, they had to redo it time and time again. And so Jesus appears. He appeared, and He is now able, and He did. He entered into the most holy place in heaven with His own blood. 
Because that would be the only way to get into the Holy of Holies in heaven. By His blood, no other blood would, would satisfy. Not the blood of, of a billion calves or, or goats. Not even the blood of other humans would have been good enough. Think, think about the, the, the most holy guy you know. It's like, well, if he died for my sins, it's like, no, it still wouldn't get you into the Holy of Holies. It still wouldn't be good enough for heaven. I don't care how holy that person is. The, 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 the fact that, that we would think <laughs> that anything of this creation could get us into heaven, we're wrong because it is inferior every time. The blood was always inferior, except for the blood of Jesus Christ. And even though that which was inferior and temporal, the blood of animals, satisfied or sanctified, purified the flesh, it could do nothing for the heart. It couldn't really change the heart of man. You know, last week we had communion and we had the bread or the, the crackers and the juice. That, my friends, cannot cleanse your heart. I, 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 I hope you didn't go away going, okay, it makes me feel better because I took it. Now I'm clean. It's like, no, that is not what made you clean. It was what re- it represented, Jesus Christ, that makes you clean. None of, none of the elements, none of the things that we could feel, touch, smell, hear can save the soul, deal with the inward parts. That is what this, this writer has been trying to get across. That nothing that we could feel, touch, smell can be eternal ever. You see, there is nothing that, we could, that, that could save you that you could see with your eyes or touch with your hands or smell with your nose or taste with your mouth. There's nothing. None of those things can do that, can give you eternal salvation. The Bible tells us that, that which is flesh is of the flesh and that which is of the spirit is spirit. And the only thing that can save you is things that you cannot see. <laughs> Jesus. He is the only one. Nothing else can save. And so my heart is that you never get to a point that, well, if I do or if I say or if I go, then I will feel saved. Guys, that is not what this writer is getting to. My, my, my heart would be that you would understand it so much that you will never have to battle this in your life, that you never think that you have to measure up because you can't. That, 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 that if you only made it to church so many times or read your Bible every day, then I will feel it's like, no, none of those things will save. Absolutely never. Nothing that is inferior or temporal can allow you to obtain eternal redemption. Only that which is superior and permanent, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can't see it. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself, it says in verse 14. All that pertains to Christ 
is superior. All that pertains to Christ is, is permanent and it is eternal. And it is able to cleanse your conscience from dead works. <laughs> because anything that we try to do, dead works. They're dead. First John 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. All of it. Verse 15 says, For this reason He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Not only or the only way that Jesus could bridge the gap was that he become the, the bridge himself. And the only way he could bridge the, the, the gap himself was to lay down and become that bridge. He would have to die. And that is the only way. He has become the, 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 the negotiator of this agreement, this covenant, this New Testament. And it, it was only by means of his death. That, that, that verse, verse 15 in the Amplified, goes like this. Christ, the Messiah, is therefore the negotiator and mediator of an entirely new agreement, testament, covenant, so that those who are called and offered it may receive the fulfillment of the promised everlasting inheritance. Since a death has taken place, which rescues and delivers and redeems them, from the transgressions committed under the old, under the first covenant. The eternal spirit offered himself so that we can obtain an eternal redemption by means of the death of Jesus. Then we can receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. It's all eternal. <laughs> when it pertains to Jesus. It's all eternal. Now, if you knew that, that you were in my will, <laughs> that's how special you are, that, that, that you are in my will and that I would be leaving you everything I own, everything on my two and a half acres, yours. My daughter's going, oh, for service, like, no, just, it's just for the illustration. You're not getting anything. Um, but let's just, for the sake of this illustration, let's just say I had billions. It would be of no use for you until I died. And you would be looking at me like, dude, when are you going to die? Because all those millions that you're leaving to me mean nothing until you breathe your last, bro. So you guys would almost be hoping that I would die so you can get everything on my two and a half acres. <laughs> Verse 16. I'm getting to a point here. Verse 16. For, for where there is a testament, there must also be of necessity the death of a testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. 
Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. What the writer has been telling us, he's been using the term new covenant. Here he conveys that this new covenant, this eternal perspective of Jesus who is our high priest, he is conveying to us that this new covenant is his last will and testament. As long as Jesus was alive, the new covenant, the new testament would never be put in force. If he would have lived to be a hundred, it wouldn't have been in force until after that. He had to die. As long as he lived, that New Testament would never have come about. We would have lived in the Old Testament. There is no power in, the, in a last will and testament until the person dies, until that testator is dead. Then it will be enforced. And so it was necessary for Jesus to die so that the terms of that last will and testament might be enforced, might be put into effect. And so Jesus had to die so that we could benefit from his last will and testament. We as the beneficiaries could accept all the terms and agreements of that last will and testament, but it would have done no good until there was death. And then we could enjoy the benefits of it. And I know that it kind of sounds sad that it's like, well, man, when you put it that way, it kind of sounds sad that we were excited that Jesus would die and then we could experience all the joy of the benefits of that last will and testament. But I think that most people who do put together a will or a last will and testament, most of them are saying, I can't take it with me, so here, enjoy it after I'm gone because I can't take it. But in this case, Jesus did die. And he put the New Testament in in, in effect, but he rose again. That's the good part. So that he benefits from even executing, carrying out, and implementing those terms and agreements with the people that, 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 that you know, he put it in place. He was able to put it in place. And so his death is not the end of the story. He still controls it all. And the writer kind of goes back again into the OT to remind us that even the first covenant, was it wasn't ratified or 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 confirmed or or, or sanctioned until um, there was blood first, because he spoke it, but it, it wasn't until they began to 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 kill was it ratified, was it put in place, and even though that blood was was only ceremonial that it purified people and things. 
to be accepted by God. Here, the principle of this whole thing being that without blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no reduction of your sin. (laughs) Without the shedding of blood, it never will lessen your sin. In other words, without blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There has to be blood. That's why it was necessary for Jesus to shed His blood so that the New Testament could be put in place and we could have salvation because of that. We are the beneficiaries of that. So verse 23 to the end here, Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are a copy of the, of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest, as a high priest entered the holy place, the most holy place, every year with blood from, of another. Then he, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once and after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. The the, the writer reminds us that oh no, I'm going back to my notes. I, I forgot to turn the page. Sorry. It's interesting as we look at these last verses. It's like what? Um, when a person dies, once a person dies and has left a, a last will and testament, there are oftentimes those who who are supposed to benefit from it that they don't like the conditions. And the agreements of that will. Why does he get so much and I don't? And oftentimes they will take and contest this last will and testament in court. And if they have a good enough lawyer, <clears throat> they can set aside the, the wishes and intentions of those who have left everything behind. Because that person himself cannot implement his wishes. But here we have Jesus, as we look at these last verses here, we have Jesus making sure that the promise of his eternal inheritance is being followed just the way he intended it. There are those on earth who might contest his will, and there are those here on earth who might reject his testimony or his testament, but they will never be able to alter it. It will be carried out just the way He wants it. And there is nothing that you and I can do, even if we reject it. It will be implemented. Now, just like some wills here on earth, 
They're set up to where, well, you can get so much until you become a certain age and then you get the whole inheritance. The same is true with this. We get to benefit here on earth from his last will and testament. He has given us so much. But when our time comes to leave this earth, (laughs) when we become of age, that we graduate from this place onto the next, then we get the whole inheritance. Everything that that is for us, we will get. But in the meantime, here we have, or we can benefit from our time here on earth. So you could rest assured that we have a high priest in heaven, in the presence of God, for us, on our behalf, because He is Jesus, our tabernacle. He is our dwelling place. And and, and as we look at these last three verses here, there's three times that you see the word appear in different tenses. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself, verse 26. Jesus appears in the presence of God for us, verse 24. And Jesus will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation, verse 28. And in these three tenses, we see salvation. It is all based on the finished work that he has implemented in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. He has saved us. He is saving us today. And he will save us in the future. We, we, we sang the song justified. Justified is a one-time deal. The judge himself says not guilty. One-time deal. Sanctification is that he has saved you. He is saving you right now. And one day we will be totally saved. And so that is what we look at. It tells us in verse 26 or 27 that humans are destined, appointed to die once. And after this, the judgment But it is set aside when it comes to the Christian. For the believer in Jesus Christ. In that, Jesus appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, it tells us in verse 26. And in verse 28, it tells us he offered himself once to bear the sins of of many. In other words, he has paid the penalty. He has taken the judgment upon himself on the cross. As a believer, you will not have to stand judgment because your ju- your sins have been judged on the cross. I've heard the saying, and I've heard it forever as long as I've been a Christian, it seems like. It says, be born twice, die once. Be born once, die twice. And what it says is that if you are born of the flesh, you need to be born of the Spirit. Again, be born again. You will die once. Your judgment has been taken care of. But if you decide that you just want to be born once, you will die twice. You will die the physical death and you will die the second death, as it says in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. That is called the second death. When you stand before the white throne judgment and he says, oh, you've only been born once, that means... You have died once and you will die again. Which really means being cast out into outer darkness. Guys, the judgment has already been paid. It is appointed to man to die once and after judgment. 
but he has already paid for us. After reading this chapter, the the Hebrew Christians who had received this letter had to realize, as we do, that there is no middle ground. They had to make a choice between the earthly and the heavenly. Between the the temporal and the eternal. Between the inferior and that which is superior. And some might say, well, can't you just have it both ways? It's like, no, you can't. You, 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 You can't, you know, it's like, why can't they just, you know keep the Jewish things and bring in the, the Christian thing, it's like, no, it brings about compromise. And in Christ, we are to stand for something or else we'll fall for everything. You have to make that choice because there is no middle ground. For the believer, his sanctuary is in heaven. His father is in heaven. His savior is in heaven. His citizenship is also in heaven and his treasures should be in heaven because we have a hope in heaven guys the true believer walks by faith not by sight no matter what we have to face here on earth whatever happens it will all be settled in heaven amen let's stand as we close in prayer father once again we we look at your word and we're in awe the fact that you would just reveal to us, Lord God, what this whole thing is all about, Lord, that anything that we could see with our eyes, touch with our hands, smell with our noses or, or taste with our mouth is all temporary. There, there, there's nothing that will last in that. And yet you're, you're asking us, Lord, those of us who have trusted in you to walk by faith, to accept and receive those things that, that we can't, touch. We can't smell. We can't taste. Father, I pray that that my brothers and sisters in this room would would go beyond the physical, even the circumstances that are around them, that they they would look beyond those things because if they're from this earth, they they will one day pass away. So I just pray, God, that you would help my brothers and sisters to walk by faith and not by sight. But Jesus, I pray that maybe even this morning there's somebody here, several people, that don't know you, that have really never made that commitment to you, and they really can't see spiritual things because their eyes just haven't been opened, Lord. I pray that even this morning, God, right now, you would touch their hearts. That, Lord, they would understand as we looked at the end right here that, that they're still facing judgment because they haven't come to the cross. Lord, you already paid for their sin. I pray that this morning they would surrender and be able to have their sins judged right now. Thank you, Lord. I want to ask you guys that maybe those of you guys who are here and you Christians be praying that if you're here and and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to ask that you do something. Just raise your hand high up so I can lead you in a little prayer. Maybe you came and and you're going, man, I need that because I can't see that. I, I've been looking at the temporary things of this world and they have left me empty. If you're here this morning, just raise your hand. I just want to lead you in a simple little prayer. And that prayer is not what's going to save you. And your hand being raised up is not what's going to save you. It's what's in your heart. 
but you want to make a public confession. So is there anyone this morning? If you're thinking, well, it's like, no, I can't see it if it's down here. Raise it up high. Anybody? Well, then with that, God bless you guys. We're going to sing a last song. We have people down here that want to pray for you. If you're going through anything, even if it's temporal, (laughs) come and get prayer for it. Seek God in those things. Amen? Amen? God bless you guys.